interesting <laughs> fellows on Skype that we have today. So, um, provided that they can still hear us talking at this point, uh, as the description I'm went... I'm pretty sure they can. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, we've done this before in the past. You know, people that have... Okay, yeah, so I can see some people waiting to talk. And you'll get your chance to talk, don't worry. So I'm just going to go over the intro as to what this is going to be about and how it's going to work. It'll work pretty flawlessly. We've done this before. So what we're doing is a podcast on stuff that has to do with, you know, science sort of nerdy, geeky stuff or whatever. And what we're doing this week is we're opening up our podcast to discussion with community members that aren't necessarily a part of the show usually. Typically, it's just Andrew and I, the people who are in the talking thing right now. (laughs) Don't worry. Uh, So, what we're doing is allowing people's feedback in on particular topics that normally we wouldn't, you know, have the opportunity to do so. We only do this typically once a month, and we do it on you know, stuff that isn't really, had been covered before. So, what we do is we cover uh, what are called thought experiments, and those are, you know, hypothetical scenarios and situations in science that can be modeled by uh, something like, you know, oh, well, like a fake scenario and a what-if sort of, sort of deal. Um, this week, we're dealing with... Sort of a simplified version and an analogy. Yeah, it's, it's like a scientific simplified analogy, if you could think of it that way. Uh, if more people join in, they'll kind of get the context. It's pretty simple. Um, what we're doing this week is we are detailing... Uh, you down to listening just for now. Um, we're detailing a story that was just highlighted in the journal Science about how people have created a new form of life on the unicellular level from taking genes from a similar species and put it into that new species to make it one that was similar to the original one. So, uh, people trying to chat to me. Yeah. So, this was featured if people listen to the Science Friday radio show on National Public Radio. They they heard about this perhaps uh, just this last week. Uh, they had some people on there. They had an ethicist and the guy who wrote the article for Science uh, talking about the ethics behind it and all that, and it'd be kind of fun, I thought, to expand on that. So what we'll be doing is I'll just be posing up some questions, and you guys can pose up questions of yourself, uh, keep it very interactive and uh, evolving as the thing goes. But I'll start us off with uh, the question I have here. And the pro- so the process by which they did this by making a new form of life by transplanting genes from one organism into another, that process by which they did it can be patented, but is this in effect patenting the life that they had done so? So what I'll do is uh, have Andrew give a little response. Uh, I guess you guys and the listening section can uh, click on something to put you into the waiting section, waiting to talk, and I'll put you in one by one to keep it a little less chaotic. Um, if other people want to want to respond to something else someone else has said, go ahead and let me know, and I'll, I'll put you in. So, first off, we'll start with Andrew's response to that. 
uh, and go into your guys' response. So, Andrew, uh, w- w- what do you what do you think about that? Well, uh, the question again is, can life be patented? And here we're dealing with uh, simple single-celled organisms. They really can only do uh, one very specific thing for the most part. Um, and I would actually say, yes, in this case, I would think life could be patented because in effect what we're dealing with is a very single-minded uh, organism, something basically you, you, you would, it's sort of like a, a biological machine. And since uh, machines, you know, that sort of technology can be patented, um, I would say that this is simply, uh, it sounds a little bit like one, but biological technology. So in effect what you have is, uh, a cell, uh, you could, I could see how you could just make a cell that could only do one thing for the rest of its existence and create other cells that only do the exact same thing and eventually have this very complex um, organism, a very complex uh, single-minded machine um, that uh, is only built to do a certain specific thing. So I could see, yes, that would, you know, it's life, but uh, I would see that it's also be patented. Um, where we get into an issue, though, is where does it become a violation of free will, and where uh, you know does it still stay to be um, just simple manipulation of single cell organisms? Okay, so we have uh, Gator down here, who I'm gonna put in the little talk thing because he he wants to respond to uh, to your point. So move him up here. All right, buddy. Uh, I appreciate uh, you've got the great scientific knowledge of this, and you're probably a little bit more clued up than I am. But if we're letting people patent these sort of things, how long is it until people start, you know, they start building these platforms and handle the gun, who can handle the weapon, because that can some, you know, that can fall into bad hands, man. I don't want to be, you know, wiped out. So, you know... You can wedge you draw the line in a sense. You know how complex do these beings have to be before they cannot be patented? You know. Uh, so yeah. the question we're asking: What do you, what do you think? Well, I, I, well, you know, I, the, I think you know. Okay, go ahead. Uh, I, I, I think I think it's fine when they're all right. You know, they can just move around. Maybe they can do a bit, a little bit of the walking. But I know um, I know that uh. Stalin wanted a half man, half ape super warrior. Now, if if it got to that stage, I would say I'm not letting anybody pass. We're going to put these straight down. Science can't be dangerous in the wrong hands, you know. And I, I I think we should draw the line immediately. I don't think anybody should be allowed to patent this. I think I think it's good, good that these things are being made, but I don't think anybody should patent this. You know, I I think that's a bit wrong. Well, uh, on the on the flip side, um, it's uh, biological computers are something that would be uh, extremely beneficial to society because uh, they would be able to perform much more complex uh, calculations on a smaller scale than current technology allows. Um, and if we were to create a biological computer, then in effect, uh, the technology, the single sort of organisms that we'd be creating it would have to be patented because that is kind of technology. Um, so, so, yes, it would be a bad thing to have extremely complex multicellular organisms, mm-hmm. such half-man, half-ape mm-hmm. things, to be patented. But um, mm-hmm. 
there's sh- there's sh- it shouldn't be just all we shouldn't be able to pack or need this. We should be able to at least have a certain amount of this technology that we can patent and that can't we can use, and then figure out the place to draw the line. Sort of uh, find the, a good middle ground. So, so I personally that would draw the line at uh, multi cellular organisms. Interesting point, but I don't know if you've seen this uh this film I saw. I robot, you know, and if we're uh, making those computers are... that can think, you know, yeah, uh, I'm just that movie is based off of I'm the, thinking the, of humanity. Isaac Asimov. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I I'd read the uh, the Isaac Asimov book of the same name. Well, I also saw the Will Smith movie too. I thought the uh, Isaac Newton. No, I, 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 no, Isaac uh, Asimov. He's a science yeah. fiction writer. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, yeah. Isaac Newton wrote that book. That apple hit him hard on the head. No, but the uh, the book details uh, exactly what you're talking about, and exactly what uh, what scientists are are trying to avoid is designing artificial life or artificial intelligence in this case, in the form of uh, of robots. They are wearing on the side of caution the fact that they know that if you design it to a certain extent where it could think for itself, it could potentially turn against you. And that's that's one area where I where I agree with, where, you know, if you are patenting life, and I think we just lost him, but uh but I'll continue on that point. If if you are patenting life or creating artificial life, you know, you have to create it within certain bounds of, you know, what's what's the potential for <coughs> this coming back at you like an Andromeda strain of some sort. Uh, mm-hmm. In iRobot specifically, you know, you have the fact that, you know, they they have the three laws which govern the way they they go about. You know, they can't hurt people, but they, ha- you know, have to, you know, keep themselves all oriented and whatever. And you might have similar laws governing things like microorganisms or things like... Uh, this. Yeah. So, from that perspective, you have to set bounds on exactly how you're going to create the life. I mean, like he was saying, if we have um, genetically engineered, you know, super robot things roaming about, that won't exactly be the most advantageous thing for people. But, like you were saying, if we have uh, little maniacal drone things on a, you know, molecular level, something that doesn't exactly have uh, capability of rationality or free thought, which kind of brings up the question of slavery mm-hmm. here. But you yeah. you have a way less implications in terms of moral issues here. So yeah, well, see, I kind of like to take this in a slightly different direction. It's the one that you're actually heading. Um, so basically, the experiment that um, uh, we are, are detailing here uh, the what was the end? Um, the scientists managed to uh, s- transplant the DNA from one cell into another, and one or- single-celled organism to another, and effectively make it that same species. Um, I'm wondering, uh, is that sort of a violation of free will on the part of those single-celled organisms? Do they have any? Should we be worrying about it? Exactly, where does the point come? We should start worrying about um, a violation of free will. I mean, I know that there's also this can also be um, tied a lot into uh, the abortion type debate. Exactly, where does you know intelligence and life occur in terms of 
cellular or, uh, evolutions. So I actually like to see if anyone who's currently li listening has any ideas on this. You know, does a single cell organism have free will that we need to worry about? And if you'd like to respond to that, there there should be some little thing that you can press to. Yeah. Okay. There we go. So we have one uh, person. He there, found so. it. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's more obvious because I'm I'm just used to hosting these things and I don't really know where those buttons are. So I'll move them up. Hello. Hello. Yes. Uh, am, I, am I speaking to two people here? Yes, you um, are. Yeah. Okay, the host and the co-host. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. More or less. <laughs> anyway, uh, well, I, I just came in and I just actually uh, um, gathered some some few words uh, uh, that I got struck up about free will. Um, um, free will. Yeah, I believe we all have free will. <laughs> that is the greatest gift that each and every one of us may have. Uh, I have decided to come here out of my own free will. Um, I would have decided well, what, uh, to actually hit the bed. I would have actually decided to hit the bed, but I did not. Because I saw this thought experiment and I said, oh, this, this may be a good subject. Uh, a very sensible uh, um, Skype cast. First time in about three weeks. In about three weeks, I've, I've been trying to browse the Skype cast, looking for sensible rooms, and all of a sudden, I get to see this. And I said, "Oh, fantastic!" Now, you know, I decided to just come here instead of get, hitting the bed because it's already 3 a.m. in my country. So that's free will. Me. Well, uh, well see, we're asking uh, if you. Remember what uh, the main subject of the Skype cast was? was uh, we had a single cell organism that was implanted with DNA of another one, effectively making it the exact same organism as the other one. Um, we're wondering if that's uh, sort of if there are any free will issues uh, there. In that, does that single cell organism have any free will that we should be worrying about, since we effectively changed oh. it to something completely different? Oh, okay. Well, I believe uh, every organism. Uh, uh, one of the characteristics of uh, of organisms that they have they, they have a sense of free um, as com compared to one organism for for instance uh, you know a rock or the chair that you're chair that you're uh, of sitting on right now it doesn't have a will it doesn't have a free will uh, uh, and and because it is not living uh, uh, it is very safe to say that you know it doesn't. It is not a uh, an aware, conscious individual, and doesn't have a free will and a will of its own. But a single, uh, a single uh, uh, amoeba, for instance, a single cell animal, for instance, uh, um, uh, because it is a living organism, um, it has. It, it 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 actually has some kind of a free will out of its own. Because it is a living organism, it, it, uh, there is some life there. There is a life, mm -hmm. uh, and, and life, as you see, is a distinct energy. Uh, uh, this may probably uh, um, uh, surprise a lot of evolutionists that uh, you know there's another, uh, and that is uh, that life itself. Uh, and um, life is life. I mean, you know, uh, and, and uh, matter is matter. Matter is dead. 
matter is has a beginning and an, an end, uh, and um, it's very, very, it's very, very uh, temporary. Where life, it's you and I. We are life particles. We are life mm. particles. Well, that, that is. Well, that definitely does. definitely does seem like a very clear cut answer, but um, the, other, the other things that you're talking about, we may be able to have to get to later if we uh, have time later in the uh, show, but at the moment I'd like to address uh, what you're talking about with um, the single cell organism having free will. Uh, yeah, it is life, that's true, and it would, it would make sense for all life to have free will, except a single cell organism that simple is effectively, effectively uh, a simple biological computer. Um, the DNA that's been transplanted in it um, only allows it to do one thing to begin with. It doesn't have a neural network. Uh, it doesn't even have a nervous system. It has a absolutely no way, in, in fact, to almost perceive the world around it except to go find food. Um, and the only thing that it can do is what the DNA inside it dictates it must do. And it's the only thing it can do on, as a single-celled organism. And an amoeba searches for food and divides itself. That's, that's really it, because as a biological computer, it has one purpose, one thing that it can do, which I don't think necessarily would entail free will. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, you know, um, uh, that is another concept that, that probably, uh, you know, uh, some people will adhere to. Um, but for me, Really, um, I'm here to share something, and also in the process learn something from you guys. Um, for me, when when I talk about life particles, uh, a lot is actually independent. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, uh, our body is made of matter, right? It is dependent upon our existence, uh, and uh, but we are, are not dependent upon the existence of our body as life particles, because life is life. Uh, in other words, even though my body may have just one cell in it, okay, I can still exist independently out of my body because the body is the body is dead. The only reason why the body appears to be living is because of, of me inside that body. The body of a uh, of a one-celled animal like amoeba, all right, appears to be living only because the life particle is there. Uh, when the life particle leaves that body, that body is a corpse. It is a, it, it, it's very simple, uh, uh, simpler than one-celled, you know, uh, 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 animal. And therefore, all its sensation content becomes, uh, you know, uh, 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 goes down right, in, in, in terms of information content. Uh, when when the living entity, when the living entity or the life particle is uh, uh, severed from the body, so uh, right uh, now it's, even it's definitely a very, it's definitely interesting view. Um, I'm I'm glad that we had the, the time to listen to exactly what you're saying, but I'd be interested to see if we can get some other views of people in here. Uh, maybe someone who has an opposing view, we can get some discussion going on. So if there's anyone else who would like to say anything, just do whatever it is that you need to do to get to the waiting bit. I'm not exactly sure how to do that. Um, and uh, we can see if we can get some discussion going on here. I also have a fat yeah. stack of uh, other questions to be posed as well. 
Uh, one of which I think we could probably probably expand onto uh, right now would be uh, so, so why should we design artificial life in the in the first place? Like I said, you know, we we could have major detriments with this. So potentially, what advantages, if any, could arise out of this? Out of uh, you know designing yeah. artificial microbes or or anything of that sort. Yeah, the thing about uh, the thing about life, though, is, is that although scientists have been trying to play around the word life, but they are playing the word life in a very, very in, uh, incorrigible manner, unintelligibly. Why? Because you know they call, for instance, they call DNA the master molecules of life. Okay, they call they call protein as the building blocks of life. I mean, you know, uh, uh, if I was listening, I was listening to this uh, uh, forum called Cosmos about uh, when was that? Three months ago, and uh, you know, I've, 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 I've seen in a video of Carl Sagan saying that you know uh, that uh, the building blocks of life, the master molecules of life, the stuff of life, is all around us, and the beauty about it is that we can produce it. And I said, wow. That can stop death. That can produce life. For the most part. Wow. If, well, if yeah, have, I mean, uh, you know, why is like, it? Well, why is it that this? Why is it that scientists are not able to produce life in the in the laboratory? And also, we can. Is it that they cannot? They cannot stop death. If, if in fact, if in fact there is some kind of a life, uh, uh, building blocks of life, if I say, if I hear the word building blocks of life or the master molecules of life, it will give me an idea, layman, that, you know, uh, I, I get this stuff and inject it into, let's say, uh, a dead fish, a dead corpse, inject some of this uh, stuff inside the body and the body will, will be alive. But why well, can't they do well, that? Well, uh, uh, we're okay, not so, exactly so, here to discuss well, hang, that. Hang on. So, well, regarding that point, science can create life in a laboratory. There's a, an experiment called the Miller-Urey experiment where they were actually able to build the chemical building blocks for things like, like DNA, nucleotides, and all that. It wasn't you know life per se. It wasn't like ants or elephants inside of a test tube. But it was the precursor to the essential you know, building blocks, like Carl Sagan says, of life. Now, in terms of stopping death, that's something you know, I don't think we'd be able to do short of you know, just creating people into robots, because if you have this you know, magical fluid or whatever that you just inject into a rat, a dead rat, obviously, that has been dead for some time, you have to weigh in some factors like, you know, is the brain still working? How can you get the brain to reboot if the heart is not pumping anymore that causes the brain to shut down? I'm not a neurosurgeon, but I can imagine that it's way more complicated than rocket science, at least in this field. With that, we have to sort of establish um, ways in which we... Shoot. I had an idea, and... I kind of I kind of lost it there, but um, 
Okay. So, regarding back to the original point of, you know, why design artificial life? What potential benefits could come from that? And and you know, as you were saying, you know, we could easily design ways in which to inhibit death, and we can do so um, with ways that uh, wouldn't necessarily be biological in manner, but are what's deemed as uh, nanotechnology, and that has to do with you know mm-hmm. people designing little little robots <coughs> to go throughout your bloodstream. Andrew, I think you know a little bit about this more than I do. Um, where they go well, through your basically, I don't really know exactly very much about it, but I can t- tell you that the definition of life is extremely fluid and flexible. Uh, because a lot of times we have difficulty exactly understanding what life is. We can look at an organism, a biological organism, like a tree, grass, uh, any cell organism, any complex multicellular organism with a neural network such as uh, a monkey, and say, oh yeah, that's life. You know, I pretty much understand that that's life. Um, but think about it. You only really know that a tree is life because you know you're told that. Uh, elementary school. Yeah, trees are alive, really, but they don't do anything. Oh, yeah, they're alive. They grow, they have seeds, they, they do all sorts of eat stuff. Yeah, they're alive. Um, but, but it's sort of difficult to understand what that is. Uh, because if we look at um, you know what Scott was talking about in terms of nanoshines, whatever, which we, re- we, don't, we don't really have yet, um, there's a lot of opportunity for uh, the definition of life to cross over um, into less obvious things. Uh, um, we could have life based on crystalline structure. We could have life based <coughs> on electric currents. Um, and it's not necessarily organic any longer. Uh, it's something completely else, but we can still define it as life. So what uh, I think our earlier per- uh, guest was talking about the Life particle. Um, the uh, I'm not exactly sure. Not very clear. Uh, but it doesn't really matter. Um, it, it's uh, what Stegen meant when he was talking about building blocks of life. He was essentially talking about all, all the various things that need to come together to create something that is alive. Because if you take per- uh, for, for example, if we take a person and we say a person is alive only because Everything inside them is functioning in an exactly perfect manner. Everything has to function just so and interact in the in exactly right way in order for the person to live. They're not one thing that, that could change, that could be present or not be present, that would determine whether or not this person was alive. Um, it's sort of the way um, if you like have Legos, uh, just a whole bunch of Legos. You know, they're pretty obvious comparison to building blocks. You want to build a castle. Okay? You put all the Legos together, and all the Legos together make the castle. There isn't one specific piece that you can take away and suddenly the castle is no longer a castle. You have to have them all in order to do it. And that's exactly what Seth Higgins is talking about when he's talking about building blocks of life. Uh, um, and that's sort of what uh, we are... At, but bringing it back to... Uh, the main discussion, we're trying to figure out uh, um, whether or not these single-cell organisms um, 
there's any kind of violation here that we should be worrying about. Uh, are they, in fact, uh, life or what? So, Well, the thing is, I mean, we get into a question of uh, what exactly their purpose is. We have, you know, determinants having to do with you know, what they do. So what what is this single cellular organism that, you know, the people for the Journal of Science have done? Well, it, it goes around the fluid, kind of you know, unknowingly bumps into stuff, eats it, and if it's good, it processes it, and gets more energy out of it, and excretes whatever it doesn't need. So that's a pretty simple process from the perspective of mission objectives of this, you know, form of life. If we had a different form of life that was to say... Uh, take you know carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and make oxygen out of it somehow you know I'm just throwing out ideas here it doesn't really have to make sense that would be a more defined purpose as to what it does now if you get into something a little bit more complicated than that like the half human ape warrior thing talking talked about earlier so what exactly is the purpose of that is it to you know, is it there just as a thing to do battle with for us? You know, is it is it like a slave? You know, you, you get into these more murky definitions as to what it's actually supposed to do, as opposed to these very simple things like, okay, your job, microbe, is to gather as much carbon as you can out of the atmosphere, combine it with these chemicals that you, you know, compound in yourself, and create oxygen out of it, and or CO2, I guess, that'd make more sense from a chemical's perspective. But, you know, it's it's a very simple process. I mean, you, I could write a computer program to do the same thing, but I can't exactly write a computer program that would think on its own. So if you go with the half-ape, half-human thing with the more murky definition as it was supposed to do, A, it could potentially think for its own. You know, the the little small organism isn't exactly going to say, well, why should I scrub CO2 out of the atmosphere? You know, it, it doesn't ask questions who, what, when, where, and why so much as a a cognitive being more similar to us or dolphins or you know anything that we associate with intelligence corresponding to brain size or whatever. But another interesting question that would rise from this is if you could change a non-human species to a human one or something similar, does that entity, the new created one, have human rights and responsibilities? Yeah. Uh, well, I think we're we're into the subject of uh, the difference between matter and life. Um, when we say that that you know, like Francis Crick. Um, and, and some other scientists would already try to would already try to define the different chemicals to create life. They say that uh, you know life uh, uh, from the distant past, um, you know, uh, created life if because you know they, uh, accidentally they, they they bump into each other, etc., etc. And form a primordial spur, and then all of a sudden, life came from that, from from those chemical reactions and chemical uh, um, um, chemical unity. Um, and they have actually they have actually defined already 
what life is. Uh, they say that you know it's made of water, ammonia, protein, etc., etc. And um, the thing about it, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. All right, I'm just a layman here. Um, if that is a fact that certain chemicals can create life, why is it that if you put this same chemicals consciously, consciously, not not accidentally, consciously now, because right now in this modern world we already have those chemicals, put it in a uh, uh, in, in, in a glass. Uh, in a flask and, 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 and put all these different chemicals they say that can create life and why is it that they cannot produce life out of it? Well, I mean, they, well, they have like I was saying with earlier with the Miller-Urey experiment, they did exactly that they took the ammonia, they took the electrical spark needed to generate the, uh, the chemical reaction in the first place, they took various chemicals like water, carbon dioxide, and stuff that would pretty much simulate the Earth's atmosphere as scientists would think it was before oxygen had existed on the surface of the Earth. Took all those chemical ingredients, put it in a flask, and had a little electric current running through it for some time, and you know, they come back a few days later and they have this black, grimy goo all over the inside of the uh, the flask that... But that, does not, that is not life. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it was. It was a, was a single-cell organism. Well, it was a single-celled well, organism growing, just like the thing that we're talking about. Well, uh, it, it may be, it may be coming up, you know, those single-celled organisms are, are, are maybe coming up from the environment. I mean, uh, uh, in the even about fifty or two hundred years ago, people people were were having this misconception that that uh, uh, spiders are coming from 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 uh, sacks of rice. I mean, you know, until until of course uh, uh, it was proven wrong by uh, mm-hmm. by this gentleman uh, who uh, uh, who invented the uh, the sterilization. Uh, uh, oh, uh, Louis Pasteur. Um, Louis Pasteur. Yes, uh, he he said that the, the reason why the reason why you know maggots uh, are coming out from spoiled foods, it is because you know uh, it's not sterile. I mean, you get you get life forms in the environment forced into into those uh, into those food, and of course you know it lays eggs, etc. It forms some kind of a, some kind of a living forms there. But try to make it so that it's very, very, it's very, very, uh, you know, like sterile. You don't see any, you don't see any life there. Nothing. Well, well I have uh, another thing to say to this. Um, yes, there was also there was first the experiment that Scott was talking about, but as we can see, it's apparently debatable depending on which world you want to take. But there have been others. Um, there have been people who were. Uh, studying this uh, sense of complexity um, that have found uh, a sort of ideal autocatalytic set. Uh, uh, basically, what an autocatalyst, an autocatalytic set, is you have um, a certain amount of catalysts, uh, which are basically chemicals that cause other the chemicals to react with, other, with each other, in a very simple version. Um, and we'll call them all catalysts A through Z. Okay? Um, and there's, you know, 26 of them, whatever. Uh, and 
Catalyst A, the very first one, is really, really, really weak. Something that can arise in nature naturally, as, as you know, we've seen around. Just some really, really weak catalyst really does anything. This catalyst interacts with Catalyst B, and as they interact, they reinforce each other. Uh, catalyst B becomes stronger, so Catalyst B interacts with Catalyst C. You keep on going like this all the way through the alphabet until you get to Z, which interacts with Catalyst A, in fact, making it... Uh, even more, even stronger, uh, bringing all the catalyt catalytic reactions throughout the entire alphabet towards A. Um, and as we continue with this, the reaction gets more and more complex, much more stronger, and eventually can create um, all the various things that are needed uh, um, to create life. As it continues, it just gets more and more and more complex until finally, all of a sudden, you have something growing, just itself, which. Uh, experiment was done with uh, uh, autocatalytic sets and well, we had something growing in a completely hermetically sealed environment. Yeah, but uh, how can you say that it's not coming from the environment? <laughs> because it was hermetically it sealed. Just, it, 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 might, it might just be fallen off from, from the environment and uh, it may yes. just have been uh, uh, coming from other living entities? Uh, no, hermetically, sealed, hermetically sealed means that it's um, completely sealed off, means that it's basically, it was placed in a, a, in a sort of a, a, a case that has absolutely no way in or out, then we could say it's all got some vacuum in between so that there's nothing, that, no way that anything can get through. Hermetically sealed, basically that is sealed completely, and actually there's no way anything can get in or out. And that's how we know, and that's also how the original experiment that Scott was talking about was done as well. The environment where it occurred hermetically sealed. There was nothing in it before we started, and nothing and nothing was able to enter or leave. So and even that's so, how we know. like having to do having that's to do interesting. That's interesting. experiment. Can you can you can you send me the link of that, please? If you can send me the link, Scott, of that, I can check it over. Yeah. yeah, Scott, if you can do that, please. Because you know, I'm, I'm, I'm. Uh, I really want to investigate it. You know, because um, this is my first time. You know, I've been talking to scientists uh, for the time, and this is my first time to have actually heard something like that. But you know, if it's true, then probably you know, I'm learning something here. So if you can just probably send me the link uh, so I can investigate itself. <clears throat> well, I, yeah. okay, okay, so there was there was the link to the Miller-Urey experiment. Now, with that, you know, you have this sealed flask, but of course it's transparent so you can see through it, but the influence from sunlight probably wasn't, you know, a factor, but also considering the fact that it was done, you know, in a medical sort of environment, things were sterilized beyond belief. The fact that, you know, you could have some contamination from the outside to get in and you know, sort of run amok in your experiment and the actual thing that you've done isn't really what the experiment was looking for, but it was just a contamination from the life, you know, doesn't really yeah. apply in this situation because there was no way for it to technically get in there. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm reading it now. Um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to check it out. Um, this is, is kind of long, but you know, this is interesting because yeah, um, uh, um, the then therefore there would be there would be a definition to life if indeed if indeed scientists were able to actually produce life in the laboratory they should be able to define what life is 
But you see, if you like open I up said, the dictionary... Well, that's an extremely difficult definition because the definition of life is fluid. Because we're not, we can create it, uh, but we still are unsure that we only were able to create one t- type, the kind that we know, the biological kind. Like I said, there could be kinds based on uh, crystalline structures or purely based in electronics. Uh, it's incredibly difficult to determine exactly what life is. Um, but so, uh, yeah. given that, like we know, and th- this will tie us into an ending point because we have to we have to wrap this up pretty quickly because uh, you know we we got to go and everything. But um, it basically boils down to how you determine whether or not something is cognitively apparent of its environment versus non-cognitively apparent. And this is a huge debate, a you know, an, an ethical, philosophical, not so much scientific, because the science doesn't really deal with whether or not if something is alive or not at the moment, but, you know, ethically and philosophically, it's a huge pressing issue. Uh, perhaps one thing in the science is determining you know, whether or not the difference between a virus is alive or not and that of a bacteria. So we know viruses are composed of, you know, these crystalline structures which are, you know, obviously not alive. They're pretty much like rocks or, you know, equally as cognitive as such, but they behave in such a manner such that it's hard to tell whether or not if it's, you know, alive. And this has a sort of gradient of scale involved with it, where you have you know, definitely one thing on one side, definitely something on the other side, but there's no clear line to divide the two. And this is one thing that commonly arises in human thought, that, you know, we could easily define these things, but we can't. And this is one of the problems that, you know, human beings have in general, is that they can't really define a gradient. You know, defining a gradient in and of itself is hard to do in determining where life begins, how a planet is defined, among multitudes of other things. And in terms of, you know, defining life or defining, you know, can life be patented, it really depends on where you draw the line on that gradient. So you could either draw it closer to the non-life scale and be cautious, or you could draw it closer to the life scale and get more out of it. It really depends, and it's really something that, you know, maybe 10, 15, 20 years down the road will have the science and capability to better distinguish between those barriers. So I'd like to thank you guys uh, for joining for joining us uh, this week on our podcast, and uh, we hope to see you down the road in the future. <laughs>